We're back. I'm Arlene Bynum, and, and we are going to turn our attention to Ukraine and Canada's promises to Ukraine. Our liberal government doing everything they can to show Canada, Ukraine, and the world that they were behind them in this fight with Russia with everything they could. And they promised $500 million to send there and only spent less than $150 million so far. Are they living up to their promises? The war in Ukraine is seen to be going on for some time, and we're watching to make sure that this revitalization of NATO and this commitment is really coming forward and actually producing the things that countries and organizations have promised. Mark Schweck is Government Relations for Ukrainian-Canadian Congress and the chairman of the Stand with Ukraine Committee Canada. Mark, good evening. Good evening. Nice talking to you. We know that Canada has pledged so much to help Ukraine. And what information do you have? I mean, are they spending all that money? And if they, of all of that money, how much have they spent and what are they spending it on? Yeah, first, so the first thing I'll say is, well, Canada has always been a leader in the past and helping Ukraine. They announced $500 million, as you said earlier. We were very excited by that. We had been rallying on the streets to get support from Ukraine all over the world. Our groups in Canada in every major city, we had over 40 cities represented It was a huge, huge effort. Um, The Canadian government really stepped up making that announcement of 500. And since then, we've been really disappointed to learn that although a couple months have have gone by, time is slipping away and uh, less than 150, we've learned, has been spent. Um, And that's not even delivered. That's just been spent or committed. So so delivery, we're not privy to the information of when things are being delivered, but they're in progress. So it's even less than that of what has been delivered. So although it sounds humongous, um, it's behind. Uh, the challenge is there's um, one or 200 people, one to 200 soldiers dying every single day. And if somebody doesn't think that's a lot, think about the Highway of Heroes when we used to welcome home one or two at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big event. This is 100 to 200 every single day are dying. And so Ukraine needs help immediately. What physical weapons have been sent? So one, what we understand is that Canada bought shells from the U.S., $100 million worth, which is tremendous, and Ukraine desperately needs those. And we also understand that Canada has sent uh, four howitzers over. Uh, that's the M777 um, long, long-range or mid-range guns to Ukraine, which is great. But they have an arsenal of 37 of them that we understand, and certainly giving away four is good. Uh, eight would be better. The U.S. has given close to 100 um, it's really important for us to to try and keep pace. Uh, Canada's always said we want to work um, in in lockstep with our with our neighbors to the south and with the European Union. Well, the U.S. just announced another billion dollars yesterday, and Canada came up with, with nine million. So, although Ukraine is super grateful for the nine, it's just not going to keep them um, defending their land and their people. Um, and we think that there's an opportunity here for Canada to step up further. What do you say, how are we doing in relationship to the rest of the world? As you say, the United States, um, with more of a pledge today, are they delivering? 
Well, the U.S. has been a leader in this. I mean, it took them forever to 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 get with mm-hmm. it, to wake up. I mean, they they were slow at first. They admitted it. I think I saw the president of the United States say we thought, you know, essentially that Russia would walk over Ukraine in the first week. And I think uh, the Western nations were honestly quite hesitant to give Ukraine support. They seem to have thought that Ukraine couldn't put up a fight and why waste the weapons and have them just picked up by the Russians and, and Ukraine would have to figure it out. But they showed valiant, resilient effort uh, in Kyiv, north of Kyiv. Um, they fought back in small towns and they did an amazing uh, job to protect the capital, which was the, the, the ultimate prize that Putin was going after. Uh, they, they have done tremendous in the east, in the Kharkiv region, although they're, they're meeting resistance now. Um, so they've done really well with the help of the early weapons that the West gave them. But Ukraine needs more uh, longer range weapons, mid and extremely long range weapons. Um, they can't fight when the Russians have more soldiers, more guns, longer range guns can overshoot the Ukrainian uh, positions. And, uh, and they can't meet, uh, they can't meet the, uh, the defensive needs of the nation. And you ask me if Canada's done enough. Well, they did pledge a lot, but right now they're, even with the pledges, they're only 13th in the world on GDP. And when you think back to Canada being a leading nation that was always in defense of Ukraine in that region, uh, being 13th per GDP is really disappointing for us. All right, let me ask you, let's just turn our attention to how things are going in the war in Ukraine. We know there is a move that for Ukraine to join the EU. That is a big step forward. Absolutely. So, um, you know, there were three choices today uh, or yesterday that the EU could have made. They could have said no to Ukraine. They could have said yes outright to Ukraine, or they could have kind of gone that middle step saying, yes, there's kind of a path for you to join the EU. This whole war, this whole war is about Ukrainian joining, Ukraine joining the EU. If you recall from 2014, Ukraine was on a path to join the EU back then. And this whole war is because Putin's afraid that if Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, joins the EU, that the standards will continue to increase, democracy will continue to improve. And eventually his people in Russia will look at Ukraine and say, wow, we used to be backwards uh, they've advanced into Europe. We're still backwards. They're afraid of a revolution in Russia. So they don't want to let Ukraine go. They want to make sure that Ukraine remains uh, uh, in a corrupt state of some sort, in a semi-autonomous state, uh, semi-independent. It's very good for them if they can win part of the land of Ukraine and keep Ukraine tied up for years and years and not being able to enter Europe. So Europe has now signaled to Ukraine that although you don't have full control of your territory, we will get you a path to joining the EU. I think it's wonderful. Mark, we're watching this, you know, as you talk about uh, um, the attempt to join the EU and how it affected Vladimir Putin. He also, his raison d'etre was to split up NATO. This has caused a revitalization in NATO, a strengthening that he clearly did not anticipate. And as you were talking, you know, as as Ukraine stood and fought, and I, I will never in all my life forget some of the brave things I saw with my own eyes as we got the coverage of the people of Ukraine standing by. I just think it was a tremendous lesson to everyone and everything, every challenge that they have. And there was this wonderful feeling of the world coming together here. And now we wonder and hope that that is going to last and and hope things aren't getting wobbly, especially when we hear of conversations, repeated conversations between China and Russia, and we see Vladimir Putin still making a move is is the world still behind this? Are you starting to see any cracks? 
I think the world is relatively behind. You know, the world that counts is, is for Ukraine immediate needs is, is uh, Europe. Ukraine's immediate needs are, are uh, NATO. Uh, you know, that includes uh, our country. And, uh, and I think in general, the Western nations have stood well together. Uh, if you think about the cracks in NATO before this happened, mm-hmm. uh, they brought NATO together and they've sealed many of those cracks. Are, is it wobbly? At times, yes. You know, the fact is that NATO is not a monolith and there are nations with different uh, geopolitical needs and they, they cite different uh, uh, perspectives and needs. Uh, Turkey has, has its own issues with Sweden, for example, uh, right now and, and so joining NATO. And so, so, you know, there are different geopolitical needs. Ukraine is, is a casualty uh, of geopolitical thoughts and processes. But in general, I'm quite happy that the West is standing firm. The West is, is holding firm. Are there other nations that should support Ukraine? Of course. India, for example, uh, is, is, not, is reluctant to go against Russia. China, for example, uh, because of their geopolitical interests, are reluctant to condemn uh, Russia. Uh, you would think some of these nations in the G20 would stand up uh, to Russia and, and not do trade with them. So what's happened is, for example, oil by boycotting uh, Russian oil, the price has gone up and they're selling it on the third world market at a discount. So Russia just making money and uh, hand over fist in spite of the in spite of the boycotts. And, and, and we all see, of the... yeah, we see Russia weaponizing that and weaponizing those deal, weaponizing food, which is a, another huge outcome of that. Mark Schweck, Government Relations for Ukrainian Canadian Congress and the chairman of the Stand with Ukraine Committee Canada. Mark, all eyes on Canada, and we hope the pressure helps release more of that money. Thank you for bringing this to us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate your time. All right. We are going to take a break, and when we return, Julian Assange, extradition. We'll have more. I'm Marlene Bynan. This is On Point.